If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It's a little after midnight as we, uh, I guess it's actually closer to 1 a.m. as we get ready to record the show. A lot going on, a lot to celebrate. Mississippi State now in a Super Regional for the fifth consecutive year. That is the longest active streak in the SEC and the NCAA, which is a pretty major accomplishment. As I have said on this show more than once, we're in our best decade of baseball. You go back here, seven of the last nine, I believe it's correct, 2013, we're in a super. 2016, we're in a super. 2017, 18, 19, and now 2021. Of course, we didn't have anything in 2020, which is the year that uh, life changed in many respects. But we're getting back to normal. But it's been it's been a good run for Mississippi State. You know, we've been to Omaha three times in the last decade. Many people would suggest the 80s was our best decade, but uh, I would argue against that. I think it's pretty clear that. We're in our best run of college baseball in our program's history. I'm also happy to report that our young fan and friend, Kane, of the Sandridge family, did get his son baseball from Zach Neto of uh, Campbell. And what, listen, what a great experience we've had with Campbell. A lot of uh, classy tweets from their official account, many of their players kind of recounting what a great experience it was. And one of the cool things about all of this with Campbell is that um, – I think they have really set a real example of what it means to be a visitor at Duty Noble Field and how to conduct yourself. And I'm not saying that people should come in here and just bow down to us, but they enjoyed the experience. They appreciated our facility and enjoyed our fan base. But uh, they didn't leave here with any enemies. You know, we've had some teams come in here in the past, and we were, you know, thinking, hey, we don't want to see those guys again. I remember some very hard feelings after the Tulane series. A lot of people were like, you know what, these guys are – you know, kind of trash talking, and and uh, they beat us one time, and next thing you know, we've got, uh, you know, we've got some hard feelings. But it wasn't like that with Campbell. You know, Campbell came in here and played us very, very hard, and we're going to talk about that game after the break, but uh, a lot of good things happened between us and Campbell, and, you know, I don't think we'll see those guys anytime soon, but I think many of us feel like that we found a program we can kind of cheer for in the Big South Conference, you know, for those of us who really keep up with college baseball, I think we say, hey, listen, we'd like to see those guys do well. And I had several of their players tell me that, uh, you know what, if they had to lose, they're glad it was to us rather than another team. You know, we were the team that eliminated them and ended their season. And for those, uh, I believe it was 10 fifth-year seniors, their college careers. But they have a healthy amount of respect for Mississippi State and Mississippi State fans. Very, very appreciative of them. And it is kind of sad. It, it, you know, we, we always want to advance, but at the same time, too, it's like we, we feel like we're part of something bigger than just our program. You know, we're part of a college baseball family, and I think uh, we've made some new friends and met some new family members, and it was so wonderful, you know, in those games that Campbell played that uh, they were not playing against us. And many of our fans cheered for Campbell. 
I've also heard that several of our fans are ordering some Campbell merchandise. It's because they want to support that program and support uh, those players and those coaches. Really, really excited about that. And, and again, it's, re- it's a reminder of the great things about college baseball. I, I shared a message earlier with uh, a friend of mine on the Ole Miss side of things. You know, the thing about college baseball is I think there is just a certain level of respect that accompanies the game because we know baseball. And we appreciate people that play the game the right way. And, you know, football is a different animal. A lot of bitterness, resentment, and uh, acrimony in, in college football. But college baseball is just different. And I can't necessarily say why that is. I think part of it is because, you know, the games are, are really long. They're more conversational. And you have a chance to, to kind of share some time with everybody. And because uh, the game doesn't move quite as fast as, say, football or basketball. But we do. We enjoy the game. We enjoy other people that enjoy the game. And I think that was evident uh, with Campbell. But now it's about Mississippi State. Now it's about us trying to punch a ticket to Omaha, Nebraska for the third consecutive time. It'll always have that little bit of an interruption when we go back and look at the box scores and look at the media guy that we didn't have that opportunity in 2020. There are many days that, like you guys, I've thought about what would this team be if we had – Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue in the lineup be a much different deal, to say the least. We'd probably be the number one seed in the country, but we're not. You know, we are what we are. We have a real chance to get to Omaha. I like the matchup. And on Friday, we're going to preview the Super Regional matchup. John Cohen, in his uh, infinite wisdom that was bestowed upon him by his ancestors that date back to uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, had the foresight to realize, hey, we need to do this, need to do that, and I'm being silly now. But uh, the bottom line is, is that we have a pretty clear path to Omaha. This Notre Dame team is not going to come in here and lay down for us. You know, they're an angry team. They're motivated by the fact they feel like they were snubbed. I've read some of their player comments, and they feel like that uh, they didn't get their just due by the NCAA selection committee. That doesn't mean that they have any negative feelings about Mississippi State, but they feel like they have something to prove. They feel like they should be hosting a Super Regional. And much of those comments were kind of directed towards Texas Tech. They felt like, you know what, they deserve to be in more than Texas Tech did. And so you run the numbers, and and, uh, I did that on Twitter earlier today. The one national seed's been eliminated is TCU, but when you get to the back end of that deal, you know, Old Dominion's been eliminated, Louisiana Tech, Florida, and some others. You've had a handful of schools that were in those top 16 seeds that are no longer playing college baseball. It's football season in their respective college towns. But uh, Notre Dame is still playing and had a really good regional. And, again, Friday we'll kind of break all that down, kind of set it up. We won't start our Super until Saturday, which I think is a great thing uh, because of the fact that, uh, you know, we really extended Will Bednar and Christian McLeod, both of them threw well over 100 pitches, which is not really a thing that we do very often, but it's the postseason, right? I heard Jay Powell say on the radio broadcast during the rain delay, in order to win in the postseason, you need somebody to step up. You need somebody out there that perhaps you're not expecting out of your bullpen or perhaps uh, you know, a position player that hadn't been a, you know, maybe a, a prime offensive player for you. You need somebody to have kind of that, that great postseason experience to kind of move the, the squad forward. And, and uh, I think we got that out of Houston Harding. Not that we expect him – not to pitch poorly. I mean, he's 7-2 and two on the year. 
you know, in the one start he had in the SEC play in Missouri, you know, we didn't play clean defense uh, behind him. And as a result, you know, he got beat up on a little bit. And I still think a lot of that's because they stacked the lineup with right-handers. So it'll be interesting how Chris Lamontis handles that moving forward. Jackson Fristo, of course, uh, starts the game. And then uh, that really struggles. Yeah, you know, re- really did. Now, I am still a Jackson Fristo fan. I still believe in him. I think it's one of those deals where – this is a freshman that has thrown some high-pressure innings. And you have to think, every time that he has taken the mound, with rare exception, he's going out there to try and clinch a series or to secure a sweep. So it's not like throwing on a Tuesday night game against Mississippi Valley State. You know, he's out there having to do some things that perhaps he hadn't been prepared for. I think he will be better for the experience, and I really like the exchange between he and Houston Harding after the ball game. Dave Murray asked that question in post game with Houston, you know, about what did you tell him? He said, "I told him, man, you're still that guy." And at some point, we all have those days when things don't go our way, and especially in athletics, you know, you're going to run across somebody one day that's hot, and you're not, and they're going to make you pay for it. And that was really the case. But the good thing is, is Chris Lamonas didn't let the game get away from us. And Houston Harding goes out there and this has a spectacular performance. I wrote a free article over on jeanspage.com about that. Had quotes from Chris Lamonis and uh, Justin Hare, the head coach from Campbell, Landon Sims, and Houston Harding about what a great performance it was. It's an outstanding effort. And I think that's probably the shining moment of Houston Harding's college career, is having an opportunity to go out there and pitch in a regional final and perform at the level that he did. To me, that will be my lasting memory of him unless he does something else great, you know, in a Super, perhaps in Omaha. I mean, that's the thing. You think best-case scenario, we don't see him pitch again until we're in Nebraska. And there are a lot of us that sometimes thinking, hey, listen, let's go ahead. What's going to happen on opening weekend? Do we play Texas? What's going to happen? Let's not get the car before the horse. Let's focus on what's in front of us. And I understand, you know, as fans, you know, we don't have a lot invested in in the outcome, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, our own thoughts and feelings. And, you know, we can kind of be focused on what we want to. But uh, I think it's also important to understand this is not going to be just a walk in the park with Notre Dame coming in here. We would love to be able to win this thing in two games like we did against Stanford, like we did against Clemson. But there's no guarantee it's going to happen. Got to go out there and play some good baseball. And, again, we'll get into that more on Friday. Got a great top ten list for you today. Pretty diverse list. It's, uh, it's Roy's pick on Wednesday, most Wednesdays. That's kind of a new thing that we're doing. So this list is not one band. It's not one genre. And I think you're going to like it. It's something completely different, kind of off the wall a little bit. And I think many of you are going to be excited about, about what you see and what you hear. I want to thank Roy, as always, for putting these top ten lists on Spotify. Many of you have reached out to me and say, Steve, where can I find those? Very, very easy. Go to Dogmatic67 on Spotify or just find him on Twitter, and there'll be a link uh, in his Twitter account. I retweet Roy, so go find Roy on Twitter, follow him, make it a little bit easier to find those top ten lists, if, and maybe you don't use Spotify. Maybe that's just not your thing. I'm not saying you got to go set up an account, but you can go uh, follow Roy on Twitter. There'll be a direct link there uh, for all of that. I want to thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, man. And congratulations to those fine folks for that new location at Ridgewood there on Lake Harbor Drive, doing exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. Heard a lot of rave reviews from many of you that have said, you know what, Steve, it's so great to have 
this right here locally for us because Bulldog Burger Company was really kind of a, a weekend treat where maybe you come to town or come for a ball game or whatever and the kids don't want to go to Bulldog Burger Company and so now you've got one of your own. Now three locations to serve you there in Ridgeland, here in Starkville and University Drive and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by, have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everyone around you better looking and we all need more of that. Find your own favorites. I hadn't had that pimentology ad bacon in a while. I'm still kind of on that grilled chicken club kick. You should check that out too if you hadn't already. I'm also a big proponent of those uh, those salads, man. Very, 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 very generous portions of those salads. And that's one of the things that I love about Bulldog Burger Company is you get such great value for your dollar. There are a lot of people out there that charge you for a meal and then you leave kind of unfulfilled. That's not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. I don't think I've ever completed a portion of food at Bulldog Burger Company. And my dogs really appreciate that too. So I bring it home and give it to them. Or sometimes I bring it home and have it for lunch the next day. I mean, it's very, very substantial portions. Go find them yourself. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's take a little time. Let's talk about that win over Campbell. You know, one of the things that I have always believed, when you get into a regional format and you're the team that wakes up on regional final day, knowing you have to play two games, you've got a mental edge. If you're the team that just needs to win once and you lose that first game, I think all the pressure shifts to you in game two. Thankfully, we were able to avoid all of that. People say, well, who will we pitch? What will we do? We don't have to worry about that. It's one of those things that we just simply, you know, it's a hypothetical now. We took care of business. We sweep the regional in three games. And one of the cool things, too, is we beat every team in the regional. And that seems like a small thing, and in the grand scheme, I guess it is. But it's nice that we beat everybody in the regional. Or sometimes you win a regional and say, well, you know, they avoided this team, and there's all these talking heads that have their opinions about that. But we beat everybody. There's nobody in our regional that can say, you know what, if we'd had a chance against Mississippi State, we'd have won that ball game. We beat everybody. So you sweep it in the most natural way by beating all three teams. So let's break down this Campbell game because, listen, we're in the middle of uh, kind of a lull in college sports right now. No college baseball on tonight. You know, we did have uh, Old Dominion and Virginia earlier today. That's one of the reasons that we're on a a Saturday, Sunday, Monday schedule for the Super. There was a lot of discussion uh, late last night that uh, we would be potentially a Friday primetime spot, but... When Old Dominion and UVA got pushed back a day, that meant everybody on our side of the bracket would start on Saturday and everybody on the other side of the bracket would start on Friday. And it really is that simple. It's not some diabolical plan to make Ole Miss look bad despite some reports to the contrary. It's really kind of childish to think that way. But um, So here we are, and uh, I think it's cool to kind of go back and relive this too since the emotion perhaps has faded just a little bit. Anytime we're talking about a Bulldog win – it's a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, State, the visitor in that ball game. So we batted first. And we went to work immediately. And, uh, you know, they're throwing a guy out there that's uh, very young and inexperienced and, you know, going to be better again in the long run himself. Cade Boxrucker uh, takes the loss in the ball game because of how well State played early on. And it really looked like we had a chance to break this game wide open early on. I didn't think the kid pitched that bad. I don't think they played real clean defense behind him, but we did a good job. Rowdy Jordan comes out and uh, gets an infield hit to open up the game, takes second on a wild pitch, T.A., then grounds uh, over to first. We moved the runner to third, and then Cam James 
ends up being your regional MVP, doubles down left field line, drives in Rowdy, and then Cam takes third. Hancock walks, and then um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those crazy things too. I, I, I barely even remember the play, but it's uh, there was an error on the catcher because Cam stole third and he throws the ball in the left field, and Cam comes in and scores. Now let's take a minute and talk a little bit about Cam James and what he brings to this offense. If we are going to get to Omaha, and if we are going to make a serious run to the national championship, we need Cameron James to play very well. Not just defensively, but offensively. You know, when you've got T.A. and you've got Rowdy getting on base, more times than not, you've got one of those two guys on base ahead of Cam. You know, so Cam's going to be in an RBI producing opportunity more times than not. So we need Cameron James to do a good job at moving this lineup along. But not here's the thing, too. You don't put a guy in the three-hole to get up there and work counts and take walks. And sometimes that's necessary to move things forward. But you want a guy up there that's going to mash and drive in runs. And so that's what he did this past weekend. He needed it. We needed it. But I think that's an important part of the scheme. But another thing that I think that maybe the casual fan misses here is when we have to DH Cam, and this is no shot at any of our players. But, you know, when you've got Tanner Laggett in there at third, we might be a little bit better defensively, but we lose some things offensively. I mean, and nobody's really scared of Tanner Laggett at the plate. And I'm not saying that to be negative about Tanner, but – you know, he's not a guy that can turn a game around on one swing. He's got one home run this year. He's really more of a, you know, a doubles guy, kind of a gap-to-gap guy. Cam James, much different. You know, Cam's a guy with double-digit home runs. Cam's a guy that you have to respect. And with Cam in the lineup, all of a sudden, then you can DH Kellum Clark and you can play Cumbus in left. Cumbus a better defender than Kellum Clark. At this point, Kellum's not a born outfielder. And so, you know, Kellum eventually, I think, will be your first baseman. But because of the fact if Cam James is in the lineup and playing a defensive position, we can be more offensive in our, in our batting order. Not to mention when Cam James is on the, on, the, on the base, he's always a threat to go. I think it's one of those things that gets lost at times in translation is when you have a guy that can get himself into scoring position without having to give up an out. So we don't always have to bunt Cam James over. You know, sometimes he can just kind of steal it clean for us. That gives you another opportunity to push the run in without giving up an out. And we look at the stolen base attempts here, and you guys may have forgotten this too. Cameron James is your Mississippi State team leader in stolen bases, 17 of 18. And if I, if I remember correctly, I think the one time he was thrown out was a busted hit and run. We've got 65 stolen bases and 80 attempts on the year, and so 17 of those come from Cameron James. So we need him to be good, we need him to get on base, and we need him to be a threat to steal. Because when you've got a guy out there that puts pressure on on the pitcher, all of a sudden pitch selection gets a little more difficult. Executing pitches becomes a little more difficult. When you've got to mind the runner out there, you can't just focus on the hitter. And so there is an irritation factor when you've got a guy like Cam James who is so prolific at stealing bases. Now, he's no Bradfield from Vanderbilt, not suggesting that at all, but he is a guy. He does a great job. He is a plus runner and a guy that does a really good job reading pitchers. And so everything works better when Cam James is being productive, and that's what you got early in that ball game. Really, really big big play early on, drive in those, uh, those runs and then put pressure on the defense. He works his way around. He scores. It's 2 nothing after the top of one. And I think at that point everybody said, you know what, we're fixing to go ahead and waltz these boys right on back to North Carolina. Not what happened. 
Jackson Fristo walks the first guy he sees. Then we get a pop up to short, and we really kind of got bailed out there. That's Denning there, pops up uh, to short. Swung at a high pitch, and that's you know that's what you want when you elevate. You want soft contact. You want manageable fly balls. But we get a pop up there on the infield, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this will settle him down. And then we walk uh, Zach Nets, uh, Zach Neto, excuse me. And I was thinking, you know what? This is not the worst thing in the world. We get a ground ball here. We can get out of this, but that's not what happened. We get behind the hitter, and then uh, Packard hits the three-run bomb to put them up 3-2. So all that great offense and the manufacturing of runs there in the top half of the inning, we've, we've squandered that already. Very next, very next hitter, uh, Colin Wolf gets hit by the pitch by Fristo. Lamonis didn't waste any time. We go ahead and make the call to the bullpen, bring in Houston Harding. And that, listen, that was the plan all along. And as Lamonis said in postgame, the hope was is maybe we get three innings out of Fristo and then we go over to Hootie and uh, lock this thing up. We had to go a little bit quicker. And that, you know what? And it's going to be okay. Jackson Fristo is going to be okay. I know some of our fans are thinking, oh, Steve, I just don't know. This kid's a freshman, man. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. I really do. I really expect him to do some big things. People forget how well he pitched earlier in the year. And at times we couldn't get him a you know, good defensive play behind him. But uh, I think in many respects he might have hit the wall a little bit. And he had the moments kind of big right now too. So uh, he'll power through this and be better for it in the long run. But, uh, he, you know, he may not be a guy that can get max innings for us in the postseason. So we'll see. So we bring in Hootie, and immediately he goes to work, and we get back-to-back strikeouts to get out of the inning. And I think at that point we all knew we were going to score some more, but we didn't there in the second. We go one, two, three there in the second, and uh, really only had one ball that we really hit really well, and that was Scotty DeBrew, who nearly hit it out to left field. A little oppo taco action there, just couldn't quite finish the deal. Ten more push-ups, Scotty, that's a dinger. Hootie comes back in the second. And uh, was very efficient here. Never went to a three-ball count on any of these guys, but gets a pair of, a pair of Ks, of the eight and nine hitter, and then gets Arnold leadoff hitter to ground out to second. Uh, pretty routine ground ball there. So, again, Hootie's doing his job and, and opens up retiring five in a row. Top of third, we go back to work again offensively. And this is one of those deals, too, where you know, this is exactly what we want to do offensively. Uh, Lane Forsyth grounds out to second. It's a close play at first. He was out. But I admire his effort getting down the line there. And uh, it was not a routine play because of how well he hit the baseball. And then Rowdy strikes out swinging, but we put together a two-out rally. T.A. singles to right field in the very first pitch at he struck it really well. And then Cam James on a 1-0 count hits a bomb in the left field lounge to, to retake the lead. State's now up 4-3. Cam James in the middle of everything early in this ball game. And then, you know, we, we get out of the inning, Luke walks, and then uh, Logan Tanner singles, and DeBrule, again, nearly takes one out to left field. Again, 10 more push-ups, Scotting, that's a dinger. And it's a 7-3 ball game, but we didn't quite get there. And that's – listen, we didn't we didn't go recruit Scotty to hit home runs. We got other people that could do that. Just not – that's not in his game, really. But 4-3, uh, I think we all felt pretty good here. And then, you know – a key moment in the ball game happened here in the bottom of third. Campbell tries to answer, which is what great teams do. And we got in a little bit of trouble here. And I think many people are kind of scratching their heads thinking, you know, what are we going to do? I think here in the bottom of third, many of our fans are probably thinking, okay, who are we going to pitch in game two? So we walked inning, and then uh, Zach uh, Neto singles. So now you've got two men on, and then we walk Packard on a full count to load the bases with nobody out. 
I turned to Tyler Horka and I said, the game is going to be at least tied. They'll at least get one, whether it be on a double play ball or a sack fly or something. They'll get one here. So we'll probably be uh, probably no better than tied after this inning. But Houston Harding's like, nah, I got you guys. All of a sudden, he finds it again. Talked to him in postgame. He goes, you know, it's just about, you know, kind of taking a deep breath there and doing what you do. And so he goes up 0-2 on Wolf. You know, we elevate, try to waste a pitch. He doesn't chase. We get him swinging. Christian, same situation. We get ahead, elevate a pitch. He doesn't chase. We get him swinging. Same thing with Harris. It was incredible that moment when he walks off the mound. It's like you're thinking, you know what? This is our day. We're going to win this ball game. This is, they had every opportunity there. And the harder their order up, three, four, and five, uh, four, five, and six, excuse me, and uh, couldn't even put the ball in play. And so we get out of that deal, and it just felt like, you know what, we had gotten over a huge hump there. Top of four, State adds to the lead. Cumbus singles to left, takes second on a wild pitch. Calum Clark then pops up to short. Just missed on a fastball there. Forsyth works account and walks. They go ahead and make a change there. Uh, Campbell brings in Chase. Rowdy makes it to first on a muff throw. I'd be honest with you, I would have given him a hit. And let me tell you why I would have given him a hit. Because I think he beat it. The umpire ruled him safe right away. He didn't rule him on the drop. He ruled him safe as if he beat the play out. And it'd be one thing if he called him out and then saw the ball rolling loose then I think you can charge an 8-3. I really thought Rowdy beat this thing out. It was a very difficult play. Uh, but the bottom line is we got a man on base. I just think Rowdy probably got shorted a hit there. Rowdy then takes uh, second on a wild pitch, and Cumba scores on the same play. Makes it a 5-3 ball game. T.A. then walks. We got runners at first and second. This time Cam didn't come through. We get a full count there, and he really battled and battled and battled. Just couldn't finish the bat there. We had a ground out to third. Actually hit it pretty well. Guy made a nice play. Hootie then goes back to work and uh, just really shuts him down. Uh, one, two, three inning here. And, again, pretty efficient here. You get Skundrick on a, on a full count, but then you get Dela Cruz to fly out and Arnold to ground out uh, without getting into an advantage count. We go back to the fifth, and this is when they bring in Harrington. Harrington, of course, was the starter in the Friday night game against VCU. And they got absolutely shelled. He gave up seven runs and, and one inning pitched. He went into the second and didn't retire a hitter. They were absolutely teeing off on him. The Campbell is really excited about him, and he's another freshman that's kind of been thrown to the wolves because they lost a couple of guys early in the year to injury and uh, has really stepped up and done a good job for them and uh, looks to be kind of ahead of uh, what, what they expected him to be. But I thought he did a pretty good job against us. You know, he enters the ball game. It's 5-3. Uh, we get a couple things going here, but the bottom line is is that he really slowed the game down for us and really kind of shut our offense down for the most part. Uh, we get a ground out from Hancock, and then Logan Tanner hits a, a bomb to right field on a full count that made it 6-3. DeBrule grounds out, Cumbus lines out. I think at this point we're just kind of happy to have a 6-3 lead. We just feel like, you know what, we're one hit away or one inning away from blowing this thing open. But that inning never came. And again, that's that's a you know that's a testament to Harrington how well he pitched. So in the sixth here, we get a case swinging. Uh, this is uh, pardon me. This is us at bat now. It's a six-three ball game. We're trying to kind of put some things together and hopefully put this thing away. Uh, Clark strikes out swinging. Forsyth grounds out to short, and then Rowdy tries to get 
a two-out rally going here. They walk T.A. intentionally to set up a force, and I think a lot of it is like, you know what, this guy's such a good hitter. Base hit's going to score the run. Let's take our, our chances with somebody else. And it paid off for him. You know, again, a lengthy bat there. But, uh, you know, Cam ends up grounding out, and they forced a runner at second. And so we get out of the deal without scoring any runs, but, uh, you know, a 6-3 ball game. We get into the sixth, and this is where I think Campbell felt like it may have been slipping away a little bit. And so rather than let Harding just kind of stay in a rhythm, let's go do something a little bit different. Wolf lays down a bunt, beautiful bunt too, extremely well executed. If you're looking for a textbook bunt, uh, a drag bunt there, push bunt I guess because he's a right-handed hitter, uh, it's a great job there. Pushes it by the pitcher, forces the first baseman to come up and field it, and he just runs right by him. Then Christian singles to left, takes second, the double steal there. And you know what? The throw actually beat Wolf to third, but it was a little bit wide of the bag, so Cam has to kind of come off there. If, if we throw it right on the money, he's out. He's absolutely completely out. Probably would have kept Harding in the ballgame a little bit. And then they, um, they tried to bunt and bunted right – right down at the plate and Logan Tanner looks the runner back at third throws to first but listen they already had two guys in scoring position so it was really just one of those deals where I really don't even know why they continue to bunt I think uh, you just try to swing away right there but um, I'm not coaching that team really felt like they gave us an out there so we bring in uh, Preston Johnson he gets ahead of Scundrich and then he, he just hits a screamer right down third baseline uh, for a double, drives in a couple runs. And then we get Dela Cruz on walking there. But uh, we battle back even though we go full count. And we got a low strike there on the strike three that Arnold didn't really care for. But uh, I do think it was a strike. Nobody, We're not voting on it. But I think it was a great pitch executed well by Preston Johnson. I did think that uh, the hit kind of bothered him a little bit. You know, if you notice, like, as, as the ball is – headed in the left field he kind of turns to cam james like what happened uh there was really nothing cam could do on that play just one of those things that happens but um yeah i'm, I'm still a Preston johnson fan too i think he's going to do a good job for us looking forward to having him back next year top of seven mississippi state now clinging to a six five lead here hancock pops up a short logan tanner strikes out looking then de Brule gets an infield hit and takes second on a wild pitch so we have a chance here you know to get one of those runs back get a little insurance but Cumba strikes out swinging on uh three pitches but we uh made the call played a little wide snake at duty noble field bring in landon sims and i think a lot of us were thinking okay three in and save man that's a difficult proposition but uh, landon hadn't pitched all weekend so we knew he'd be fresh and every time that he's had these three-inning saves, you know, he's given up a hit or two that first inning. It takes him a little while maybe to get hot and get going. But he gets a strikeout swinging. We get a ground out. And you think, okay, there's two outs here. We'll go ahead and get on through this. Packard then uh, kind of singled back up the box there. But then you get Wolf to line out. A great play by Scotty DeBrule there. That ball was hit exceptionally hard. But DeBrule positioned pretty well there. But thinks one or two steps to his right secures the catch. And so now we're off to the eighth. Got the bottom third up there, and we're thinking, okay, let's just find a way to move this thing around the top of the order and get a guy on. We were unable to do that. As great as the bottom third was, the first two uh, ball games of this regional, not a lot from them in the clincher. Uh, Clark flies out to left. 
and then Forsyth pops up a bunt, and you know just they they threw it high. We just didn't do a good job on the bat angle there. Just didn't get the bat above the ball. We pop up there, and then Rowdy flies out to center. So it's a one-two-three inning, and I'm thinking, you know what? The momentum in this game is kind of slipping away from us. But uh, Sims comes right back and goes to work. Does a great job there. You get a K swing and, and a pop up behind the plate that uh, Logan Tanner secures, and then we get Scundrich to strike out looking. So it's six-five headed to the ninth, and like all of you, I'm thinking, man, one run sure would be nice here. That way, it kind of prevents us from getting. Uh, tied with one swing of the bat because you never know when somebody's going to run into one, right? Didn't happen for us. T.A. gets a leadoff single, and you think, okay, let, this is great. Let's make some things happen. Uh, Cam then moves the runner with a ground ball to the right side. So we, now you've got a runner at second with less than two outs with four and five coming up in the order, and we just couldn't get it done. Hancock flies out on a full count. Logan Tanner grounds out a second. And so that's one right there where we get what we need to get the inning started. We get a guy on base, and then we move him around to second. We've got the heart of our order up, and we just didn't get the big hit. Fortunately, it didn't come back to bite us. But that's one of those moments, too, you look back and say this is a missed opportunity. Uh, They elect to pinch hit with uh, Harrell in the ninth, and the very first pitch he sees and was a fastball. He turns on it off the bat. I think some people thought it was gone. Uh, Braylon Skinner gives it a great effort, just can't get there, and it's off the fence and left. And I think most of us are probably thinking, uh, let's get ready for extra innings here. We've got to find a way to figure this thing out. We're probably going to about to burn our closer, and then who's going to close this thing out for us? Preston Johnson's been burned uh, at this point. So, you know, what do you do? But Landon Simmons says, don't worry, guys, I got you. He gets Arnold swinging. They get a ground ball to second, which moved the runner to third. So, Tyne runs at third with their best hitter at the plate. Uh, Zach Netto is a guy that's hitting over 400, leading them in home runs. Great execution of a pitch here. Fastball away, down in his own. The kid's trying to hit the ball hard, and basically he grounds out the short there. And a great play by Lane Forsyth, too. And it's funny how the game always tends to find you, right? You know, and so, you know, there have been some times where uh, Lane has kind of booted the ball around some on the infield. Actually been really solid for us down the stretch. This is a play we had to have. And so excited that Lane made the play. And I do think defense is his strong suit. I know some, other, some, of our, uh, some of our fans, even some of our media, aren't real high on him. I am. I think you're going to look back in two years, and this kid's going to be Ryan Gridley. I think he'll be a very, 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 very good player for us. Uh, you know, pitch selection's got to be a little bit better, too. That's one of those things that I look at. I think about sometimes, you know, we take a lot of called third strikes, and some of that I know is that two-seamer away. You give up on it, next thing you know, there's a late break, and, and, uh, and you know, it's just kind of part of the deal. But when you begin to look at these numbers, and I'm going to look at some Forsyth numbers here before we move on, because I think it's important to kind of understand where we are and what we're doing. Because there's a lot of uh, misnomers out there. There's a lot of times people say, you know, we, we develop our opinions, and sometimes the data doesn't support it later, and we don't change our opinion as things begin to improve. I had a discussion earlier on Gene's page about Brandon Smith. And people are like, oh, he's so inconsistent. Guys, he's given up, what is it, 15 earned runs all year, and 11 of them came in two games. 11 in two games in 18 appearances. 
And so, yeah, the, why, why didn't the, uh, the rest of that stuff, why isn't that the rule? I mean, that's the, the exception is that he's had a couple of bad outings. He had that really uh, bad start against Florida when he wasn't able to locate and, and get that low uh, strike call with his sinker ball. And so next thing you know, he has to elevate a little bit, and Florida hits him pretty well. And Florida's at the house now. Mississippi State's still playing. But let's look at Lane Forsyth here just in recent ball games here. I mean, you know, that's the things that I look at. We look at these errors. Uh, you know, there was a stretch there where, where you know, we were, seemed like we were making an error a ball game. Kind of counting down here, you know, since the Alabama series, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. That's eight errorless games in a row. Eight. So down the stretch, the kid's playing pretty well. It was a time there he was hitting really well. You know, he was up, uh, let's see, he had a, I guess he was up to 333 uh, after the Arkansas State game. And earlier the year after Arkansas, he was actually hitting around 343. And then people begin to kind of scout you a little bit and figure out what you're, what you're not doing well. But as recently as the Missouri series, he's hitting 270. It's respectable for a freshman. He's down to 236 right now, so he's really struggling to put the ball in play. But uh, defensively, you know, playing well. Uh, hadn't had a hit since the uh, Sunday game at Alabama, though. And that, so that includes the postseason. He's 0 for the postseason. And I remember talking to Jeffrey Ray some time ago, you know, and I, I kind of see Forsyth and Jeffrey Ray kind of similarly, even though I think, you know, Ray was obviously a better hitter as a freshman. But Jeffrey Ray told me that freshman year, towards the end of the year, he was just tired all the time. You know, in high school, you don't play nearly as many games. And so your body has time to, to rest and recuperate a little bit earlier. Not to mention, these are high-stress games. So there, there's an emotional component to all this, too, because you have to remain engaged all the time. It's not like a summer league high school game where they didn't even put the score in the paper. And you make a mistake these days, it's going to be on the SEC network. And so I think there's probably some of that going on with Lane. But as long as he's defending well, and can find its way on base, you know, ball, uh, one, one or two times a ball game. I think that's probably the most we could ask for. But uh, yeah, his- Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink. And maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding. Whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at Tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tecovis.com. 
That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. His best baseball is in front of him. So let's not give up on the kid. So we win the series. We win uh, the regional we kind of begin to look forward here now. And I think everybody expected us to win the regional even before the pairings were announced, right? From the beginning of the year, we all said, you know what, this is a potential Omaha team. I think last year, I think we all probably thought we had a real chance to go contend, and that's yanked out from under us. And maybe we're not as strong in the middle as we were last year. But the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, we're right where we expected to be, and that's winning a regional and getting ready to go to Supers. So, regardless of who's here and who's moved on, you know, the train has kept rolling here. That's what's exciting to me. You know, I, I love Mississippi State baseball. I have high expectations for Mississippi State baseball. I think we should be in a position to host a regional every year. I think that's a standard we should aspire to. Because, you know, but let's not just host a regional. Let's be a contender in Omaha regularly. And I think that's kind of what we've gotten to the point. You know, the, again, five straight super regionals the longest active streak in the NCAA. So we're kind of becoming who we always wanted to be. I mean, it was always kind of a joke. Oh, you know, are we going to host? We're going to host. We're going to host. You know what? In this era, I guess, what are we, five and one now at home regionals? And so when we do host, we're in great shape. The one time we didn't, of course, I believe it was 03 when we got beat by North Carolina here. That's the Paul Mahalam year, right? So when I think about, you know, the trajectory of this program, I think it's pretty safe to say that we're, we're headed where we want to go because we are consistently a winner in the postseason. It's kind of like going to the barbershop. You, know, you go enough times, you're going to get the haircut. You know, so the first thing you do is you break through and you start winning regionals on a regular basis. You get to the supers on a regular basis. So we have won a regional five years in a row. Remember the first two years of Jake Mangum's career, we didn't win a super. The last two years we did. And so then you begin to think, okay, well, we're winning regionals. Well, now we're winning supers. We're getting to Omaha. See, the the next stair step in that process is us getting to Omaha and winning it. You know, back in 2018, probably the most surprising run to Omaha in our program's history. And there we were in the winner's bracket with a a win over Oregon State. We needed them to kind of find a way to drop a ball game. They had so much pitching, they came back and beat us twice, if you recall, that denied us an opportunity to go play for a national championship. It had been us in Arkansas, a team that we swept. 
And there's so many of those near misses, you know, in our, our history. And you just never know when that crew is going to come along. And to be honest with you, I think when, when we win it, and we're going to win it, and we're going to win it multiple times, but I think the first time we win it, I think it's going to be a surprise type deal. I and mean, maybe it's like this year. You know, is this team as good as the 2019 team top to bottom? I think statistically, you'd say no. I think on paper, you'd say no. I think leadership-wise, you'd say no. But it's kind of like that 89 team that didn't make it to Omaha, and you think 90's going to re- be a rebuilding year, and we get back. We get to Omaha in 1990, a team that people thought was going to be middle of the pack in the SEC. And here we are in Omaha. And so I think the team that wins it first is going to be a team kind of like this one. You know, where it boils down to matchups. It boils down to a game-by-game deal. Like, you know, when you get Clark and Palmero in the lineup, you expect to win every weekend. And so those are your expectations. So you show up and kind of think, you know, we'll figure it out. I think this this team is a little different. I think there has to be more of a trained focus on the day-to-day stuff. You know, one thing I'll share with you guys, too, I'm not going to mention any names, but I think it's important that you guys know this. I've had some conversations with some of our baseball parents here in the last few weeks, and it, it, it hadn't always been the best of times, folks. I mean, listen, let's be honest. We've got a lot of people out there on social media with a lot to say. We've talked about that on the show before. I'm not going to belabor that point today. But I've had multiple Mississippi State baseball parents tell me that during the darkest of times, you know, when a guy makes an error, a guy doesn't execute a pitch, or a guy makes a mistake at the batter's box, and maybe we can't move a runner, that, you know, Lamontis in the moment is pretty fiery. But he also has that velvet glove approach too. You know, when they're away from the field, you know, he's like, hey, listen, I'm proud of you. Listen, we need you. You're a big part of our team. If we're going to get to where we want to go, we need you. We need you to contribute. And, of course, there's all this social media aspect. I mean, that's one of the things everybody loves going out there following the players, and then some people can't resist the temptation to say something negative when we don't win a ball game. But Chris Simonis is managing your team, not just in a dugout, not just in the locker room on a practice field. He's managing them away from baseball, too. Guys, we've got the coach. We do. We've got the coach. We've got the guy that knows how to manage the program. We've got a guy that knows how to recruit. We know a guy that knows how to sell Mississippi State. We've got a guy that, that, that understands our expectations here at Mississippi State. We've got a guy that kind of mirrors our value system. So we got the guy. And maybe it wasn't the guy we thought we'd get. After we fired Andy Canizaro, or I guess or he technically resigned, you know, a lot of people thought we're going to get this guy and that guy. And listen, you know, you know, to John Cohen's credit, you know, he, he said, listen, we're going to go out there and we're going to do a national search and we're going to interview everybody. And we're going to talk to these guys and we're going to do as much as we can to get the best guy available. And you know what? That's not to say that Dan McDonald wouldn't have come in here and done him an amazing job because I believe he would have. But the guy we ended up getting, Chris Lamonis, is a good fit for us here at Mississippi State. And here's the thing, too. There, there are no great leaders, no matter your political affiliations or whatever, there are no great leaders that um, make all the right decisions as, and that are pleasing to, to their fan base or their constituents. It's just not how life works. Being a leader is not always doing what's popular. Being a leader is doing what's right and what's best for your ball club or your organization or your, you know, your district. That's what being a leader is. Well, you know, if, if we're just going to you know, bow to public opinion, then we, we don't even need to have an election. We can just uh, you know, put somebody in there, and we'll just conduct a Twitter poll, and that's how we'll, we'll go through life. But that's not what we do. We go out and we, 
we hire and educate and train people to lead us. That's what we do. And so sometimes you've got to have a little faith in the process. It's not football, okay? You, you look around the country and you see all these teams with these cathedrals and all this money and all this kind of stuff, and you say they're always good and they're always just running over people. You know, we're on the other side of that. That's how we are in baseball. And listen, I'd love to be able to be that team that's going to line up out there and beat everybody every time we play. But we have such a revisionist history about all that stuff, too. Yeah, I, mean, I, I talk to people all the time. And they're like, oh, do you think Clark and Palmero would have lost to that team? Well, let me, let me just share this with you uh, real briefly here. <laughs> Some of the things that I think are, are, are kind of interesting. Uh, that 85 team that we all love so much, the 85 team that won the SEC championship and the SEC tournament championship and was a pitch away from playing for a national championship. And I actually had a chance to visit with Bobby Thigpen over the weekend. Looking forward to talking to him about uh, the next Mississippi State book. But that team lost to Mississippi College 7-5. We did. We lost to Mississippi College. You, you think Ron Polk had a few people in his ear about all that? Uh, we lost to UNO at Duty Noble Field that year. First home game we lost that year was to UNO. Let's, uh, let's look at the 89 team. We also lost to Hawaii, too, back then, too. Uh, let's look at the 89 team. I think many people, most people would argue that the 89 team, best offensive team in, uh, in history. And that was before the bats changed. That great 89 team, you remember how wonderful they were, right? Uh, well, <laughs> we were 3-2 and two to start the season with uh, that fifth game being a loss at Louisiana Tech, and we got shelled 14-7. We go out to Hawaii – feeling really great about life. We lose to Hawaii Hilo, didn't lose to Hawaii. We lost to a really, really mediocre Ole Miss team in the Mayor's Trophy game, 4-3. Lose to Southern Miss. It's a joke, man. Lost a couple series we shouldn't have lost. We got flushed out of the SEC tournament in three games. Does that sound familiar somewhat? Our final game in uh, the SEC tournament that year, that's back before it moved to Hoover. We were playing uh, in Gainesville. We got beat 15-6 by Georgia. 15-6. You heard that right. And so I, I shared that just because I think it's important to understand there's never going to be a team you look at and say, you know what, we beat everybody we were supposed to. I mean, go back and look at the, you know, people forget Louisiana Tech absolutely, you know, rocked Arkansas pitching this year. A lot of, some of our fans, I think, uh, have this, this approach about Arkansas that they're unbeatable, and they're not. They only swept one series all year, and that was against us. You can say, well, Steve, yeah, that's enough. No, it's not. I think what we've learned since then is that we've improved and become a better team. They've been great. They've been very consistent. They're the best team in college baseball right now, but they're beatable. And I've said before, I'd love to play them in that big park at Hoover at, uh, at Omaha. I'd love to. If you looked at the numbers they had at Hoover, it was different too. Now, they got going late you know, against Tennessee when everybody's pitching kind of ran short. You know, So we'll see what happens. But that's the thing too is if we're fortunate enough to get to Omaha – Arkansas is on the other side of the bracket, but here's the deal, too. We talk about how it's so difficult to beat them twice. 
We don't need the same team to beat them twice. We just need them to lose twice. They nearly lost twice to Nebraska in the regional. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. But I think it's important to kind of, you know, let's take things in their proper context. Let's not build up people to be more than they are because any team can be beaten. And you go back and look at that Arkansas series, we catch a pop-up, it's a different ball game. That's back when we were still figuring some things out. We had two freshmen over there on the right side of the infield, left side of the infield, excuse me. And um, we didn't catch a pop-up. The next thing you know, Christian Franklin hits a three-run jack. They're off and running again. And I don't know that we possess the same level of toughness back then that we do now. We've kind of learned that we're, you know, the ball game's never over. We hadn't always been a great come-from-behind team, but we have been a team that, uh, you know, we give up some runs early. We've got enough of our offense. We can kind of get things going. We're not going to win a, we're not going to win a home run derby with anybody. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of home runs hit at Omaha. I think we've got the good enough pitching to keep those guys in the yard up there. Dirty Noble Field, since we have made the renovations, is more of an offensive park. We have turned it from a pitcher's park into an offensive park. Balls aren't going to be flying out of Omaha. And, again, there's a lot of baseball that's to be played before we even have that possibility. You know what? We win a couple this next weekend. All of a sudden, you begin to look at this thing and say, you know what? Hey, we're two wins away from Omaha. Then we could potentially be three wins away from playing for an NFL championship. Go up there and sweep our bracket, which is, you know, it's difficult to do. But we've done it before. We did it back in 13. Do you think that 2013 team is better than this one? And, and, and I know some people listen and say, well, Steve, it's a bunch of big leaguers on there. And, yeah, there are. There's some big leaguers on this one, too. May not be as many. That 13 team, though, that's one of those teams that just got hot late. You know, guys like Alex Detts, C.T. Bradford, those guys weren't big leaguers. That was just a great team. It's a great team. It had a couple of great players on it. Hunter Renfro, great player. Adam Frazier, great player. Kendall Graveman, great player. But you had a lot of other guys that were just great college players on that team. And if you line this, this roster up against that one, I don't think they're that, that, that different. So if that team can go play for a national championship, this one can too. This one probably has better pitching. So, Steve, we had Jonathan Holder. That's true. We got Landon Sims. You know, people forget, too, we were doing the opening thing back then, too. Trevor Fitz would open. Ross Mitchell would come in and, and be Hootie and the Blowfish, right? That's what we did. So it's very similar. And my hope is we can take a similar path. That's another thing, too, I thought about, too. You know, with, you know, Lamonis is a guy that's been to Omaha with multiple teams. John Cohen's coaches for a national championship. And Cohen and Lamonis have a great relationship. But I am confident that if we made it, John would say, you know what, Chris, listen, you do what you want to do, but here's what happened to us. And here's what I would have done differently. John's told me before that he has replayed that UCLA series over in his mind a million times. Laid awake at night agonizing over it. We get back there. Maybe we benefit from that knowledge of the fact that, you know, this is what it takes. So I I'm, I'm feel good about our team. I feel good about our bracket. I feel good about our prospects. But I also feel good about the fact that, uh, you know, we're a team that I think is – kind of figuring some things out and I think we're getting there and you say well you know Steve you know why are we still having to tinker this late in the year look look around the league and look around the conference and around college baseball 
everybody is struggling to find consistency with a third starter. Everybody. Everybody is struggling to find consistency with the bottom third of their order. These are not problems that are unique to Mississippi State. But what happens is the teams that get those things kind of figured out, because you don't need a guy to be dominant the whole season. If you can just find a guy to get hot late, because that's what happens, right? I mean, you think Fresno State's a better baseball program than us? Well, they got an AFL championship. You think you think Coastal Carolina's got a better baseball program than us? They don't, but they got an AFL championship. And, you know, in many respects, you know, for a stretch there, you could say, you know what, South Carolina was the most dominant team in college baseball. Do you think South Carolina has more than what we have? Well, they don't. They got a great park. They got two NAFL championships too. And so I'm so ready to kind of remove that from us because I think there is a certain level of an inferiority complex that many Mississippi State fans feel because we are so committed to baseball and we've got all these great crowds and we've got all these wonderful things that happen and we've got so much to be proud of, but we haven't reached our ultimate goal yet. Is this the year? I don't know. There are a lot of times I look at this team and I say, you know what, something's missing. There's just something missing. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's toughness. And then I see Tanner Allen go out there and, and dive in right field and get a face full of asphalt, uh, making a catch on the line out there. He's tough. And I see Rowdy Jordan laying out there making a dive and catch in the outfield as well. I see uh, you know Luke Hancock out there grinding out at the bat and fouling off, fouling off, fouling off, and fouling off and not giving into a pitcher until he walks him or he gets a pitch he can handle. So there is some element of toughness on this team. You don't think Brad Cumbus is tough? Brad sometimes struggles to pick up spin on a breaking ball, but he's tough. You know, I go back to the Ole Miss series, and I go back to that bases-loaded triple from Tanner Allen. You want, you want to see a microcosm of our two programs? It's that play right there. It's a best-on-best situation. They got Broadway going, their best reliever. We got T.A. up there, our best hitter. Future SEC player of the year. The game is on the line, and T.A. comes through. And what does he do when he rounds second? He goes barreling into third, knocks the guy off the bag, the ball goes running loose. That's the difference in the programs right there. It's a toughness factor. And listen, they got some guys over there that are tough, too. I mean, Elko's a guy. I mean, it's remarkable what that guy's doing. I still don't know why you pitch to him. I'd walk him every time, make him clog up the bases because all of a sudden he can't run. So that, I mean, that eliminates the possibility of a guy going first or third, eliminates a guy from taking, getting a double. He can't run. They want to put him out there and let him stand there and hit home runs. I, you know, I wouldn't let him do it. But the bottom line is this, is that you know, this Mississippi State team has a lot of very positive attributes, but we've got to find whatever the secret sauce is here down the stretch. If that means somebody like you know, Kellum Clark all of a sudden gets rolling, and he's had a couple of really good at-bats. He's had a couple of good ball games for us, and that's big. And I think having him and Cumbus both in the lineup, I mean, all of a sudden, we talked about this earlier in the show, and now all of a sudden, instead of having a couple guys that can hit dingers, let's be honest, you know, T.A.'s, T.A. can hit some home runs, but that's not really his strong suit. T.A.'s a guy that's going to be a doubles guy. K.'s be a triples guy, right? You know, Rowdy's a guy that can hit some jacks, but that's not really who he is. And I really think sometimes, too, that gets him in some trouble. But all of a sudden, when you've got Cam James and Kellum Clark and Brad Cumbus in lineup, now you've got three guys that give you some length. You know Luke Hancock can hit some home runs. You know Logan Tanner can hit some home runs. Now all of a sudden, you've got 
you know, six or seven guys in this order that could potentially be double-digit home run guys. And you got to think at some point, Cumbus and Kellum Clark's going to run into one. And big as strong as they are, somebody's going to groove a fastball, and, and they're not going to live to tell about it. And so those are the things that excite me, but at the same time concern me because we need somebody to step up and be that. And maybe Houston Harding, maybe that's what we're finding down the stretch is that we're finding an expanded role for him. We'll see how things progress. I still worry about somebody stacking the order with right-handers against him. I do. I probably wouldn't worry about it as much at Omaha, though. It's one thing to do that, you know, at uh, Auburn, you know, or Oxford or Starville. But if I'm going out there in that bigger ballpark, I'm probably not as hesitant to just roll Hootie out there as a third starter. And I'll be honest with you, you know, the Jackson Fristo thing, I would do it again this week. Now, I wouldn't let him go out there and spot him three runs, you know, and, and that's difficult to do. But first time of trouble, I'd probably yank him and go ahead and pull, put Harding in because I think Harding needs some lefties in that lineup to really work, you know, to kind of really work his magic. But if I'm in Omaha, I'm in TD Ameritrade, I'm just going to go ahead and try to hootie out there. So let's go get it. Let's go get it done. Because I think there's going to be a lot of routine fly balls. I think there'll be a lot of F7 and F8 in those games. So I think maybe we're finding something there. And, you know, there were some times I thought maybe we're, you know, kind of finding some things out with Kellum Clark, and he is a guy that hits absolute missiles. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, kind of him getting some ABs and getting rolling again. But it's not going to be the greatest team that goes and wins. It's going to be the hottest team. That could be us just as well as it could be absolutely anybody. All right, let's get in the top ten list. Brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. Listen, some of you guys have reached out and said, hey, Steve, I really like these glasses. They're sold out. Well, they're not. And if they are sold out, they can replenish that stock very quickly. What's happened is because you guys, traffic side is up, there's a lot of people that have been going and buying glasses, and so you've depleted the inventory. So some things have had to be replenished. There were some things that were on back order. But here's the deal. If you really want, like, those Greenwood frames – just shoot them the contact us thing and they'll get them for you. Because what they're doing is they're kind of, you know, they're getting some surplus, but by the time it gets on the website, it's getting bought. And so it may show sold out. You're thinking, man, Steve, I went and looked, but the glasses I really want are gone, and the ones that are available I don't want. Don't worry about it. Send those guys a message and they'll get them for you. Also, of note, too, if you're a Boneyard listener, use promo code Boneyard to get 10% off. It's a cool thing, right? Free money, man. And as we've shared with you guys many times, too, one of the things I love about this company is it's run by Bulldog people, but also, too, that a portion of the proceeds is donated directly to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I am a big supporter of that cause. Helped raise a lot of money for CF over the, the CFF Foundation over the years when I was working for Holly Myers Furniture. Met some of those families. It's heartbreaking, man. And anything we can do to help improve their quality of life is a, is a wonderful thing. And, of course, you know, John C. Packer, of course, has dealt with this his whole life. And so it's not just a, uh, an opportunity uh, to have a retail establishment, but also, too, a chance to help other people. So it's a win-win-win for everybody involved. Again, that's johnnypacker.com. Today's top ten list is Roy's pick. Roy has been on me about three months to do this list. And so I called him tonight. I said, because I saw him over the weekend – uh, we had a chance to visit uh, he and, and his wife Missy had a chance to visit with them at Duty Noble during the rain delay, kind of get caught up on some things, and uh, and so we didn't even talk about what we we're going to do on the top ten list. So I called him. I said, "Hey, listen, it's your pick. We didn't talk about this. What do you want to do?" 
And the first thing out of his mouth is, hey, do you want to do the supermodels list? Well, number one, I love supermodels. I love models, and uh, I love superwomen, but that's not the, the way we're going here. I love all women, just some more than others. Um, but this is going to be songs from rock stars that married supermodels. Does that make sense to you? So rock stars that married supermodels. We're going to have a top ten list of those. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this. Some of these songs are not necessarily my favorite song from this band. One of the things I've tried to do is maybe work in some different songs that perhaps we haven't talked about on the show as much. Now, some of these I just couldn't resist. You know, some of them were just too perfect. But there are some others that I decided, you know what, let's add a little diversity to the list. So these are the guys and gals that didn't make the list, but I wanted to throw an honorable mention in their direction. My favorite member of uh, Motley Crue, and the guy that I think is the definitive rock star of this generation, Nikki Six, at one time was married uh, to Vanity. Yeah, that's right, Vanity, Vanity Six. Also was married to Donna DiErico from uh, Baywatch. Nikki didn't make the list, but somebody from Motley Crue did. I'm sure you can figure out who that is. Also, David Coverdale and Tawny Katane didn't make the list. And some of you are saying, Steve, that's blasphemy. I wanted to get Tawny mentioned because, you know, she died recently. And um, it's a really sad deal. I actually have had some interaction with her on social media about recovery. And uh, she was a person that one time was very critical of AA and stuff. And I actually had some messages. And she ended up following me on Instagram, and uh, which is crazy, and commented on one of my kids' pictures. It's just, you know, it's crazy. But uh, I can't believe that she is gone. She was a big part of, uh, of many of our, our, our teenage uh, dreams, shall we say. But they didn't make the list. And part of that is I was, I'm not exactly sure how to label Tawny Katane. Um, she, yes, she was a model. She was also an actress. But she kind of rose to fame as a video vixen. And so I just wasn't quite sure how to label her. And so I didn't want to include her with some of these, you know, working supermodels. And that's not to say she wasn't beautiful. Matter of fact... The truth of the matter is, is um, if I had to pick somebody to, who I would want to uh, to go on a date with, she would be near the top of the list. But uh, I digress. So here's the top ten rock stars who married models top ten list. So number ten is uh, David Bowie, and uh, I guess it's Iman. She was a, an international model. David Bowie married her. And so in honor of them, we're going to go with my favorite David Bowie song. Some of you will disagree. I know I've got some friends out there that love the 70s stuff. I could have gone Rebel Rebel. I could have gone uh, Young Americans. I went with Let's Dance. Number nine, this is probably the most obvious one. And some of you would say, well, Steve, this probably deserves to be number one. Probably the most beautiful woman on the list. So if we're ranking supermodels, she's near the top. But I'm not a huge Billy Joel fan. I do like the music, but I think some of these songs are better. So it's Billy Joel and Christy Brinkley. And rather than go with um, you know kind of a ballad here, I decided to go with Moving Out. Moving Out. Something a little more of an edge on it. Number eight, we've done a list for this guy too. And uh, it's interesting. Rod Stewart married Rachel Hunter, who was a former uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. An absolutely beautiful woman. At one time, she was dating Kip Winger from Winger. 
And so on uh, Winger's second album, In the Heart of the Young, there is a song, an absolutely beautiful love song on there called uh, One Condition. And it is a song that Kip Winger wrote to Rachel Hunter. And then shortly after that album came out, she left Kip Winger and married Rod Stewart. So right in honor of that moment, we're going to go with uh, one of the more, you know, rocking songs of your catalog. We're going with Hot Legs. Love that opening riff, man. Number seven, and this is one that might surprise you a little bit because I threw you a curveball here just a little bit. So Simon Laban, who I at one time in my life I thought was the coolest singer in the world. Simon Laban from Duran Duran uh, married uh, Yasmin. They've got three or four kids. But there was a time when Duran Duran was on hiatus that Simon fronted a band called Arcadia. And, uh, and Andy Taylor had gone solo. Matter of fact, I listened to uh, Andy Taylor earlier today, that great song from the American Anthem movie soundtrack. I love that movie, too. I love Janet Jones. She became Janet Gretzky, but I had a thing for her. Uh, so Simon LeBond had Arcadia, and Andy Taylor had that great song, Take It Easy on Yourself. It is such a great, great song. And sadly, it is unavailable on iTunes. I, I just don't understand that. The album Thunder is available, but that particular song is not available. So you have to listen to it on YouTube or whatever. Maybe you can make an MP3 yourself. But I really dug that Arcadia album. I was dating a girl back then, and uh, she was my middle school girlfriend, and uh, first girl I ever really kissed. And uh, she bought me this tape for Valentine's Day. And sadly, shortly after that, we ended up breaking up. It was my call after we dated somebody else shortly thereafter. It was a bad decision on my part probably should have treated her better but uh, but the song on that Arcadia album so red the rose that was so great was a song called election day so that's going to be your number seven song election day by Arcadia in honor of Simon Lebon uh, number six I could have gone a couple different ways here so we're going Seal and Heidi Klum and that was a big surprise right Heidi Klum at that at that point I think was considered the sexiest woman in the world and uh Mary Seal and it was really kind of a surprise romance thing. It apparently, it had been going on for an extended period of time. But it was big news when it happened. I could have gone with crazy, and I almost did, but I got talked out of it. So we're going to go Kiss from a Rose here, which is a beautiful song. And uh, it is the uh, only true ballad on this list. Number five, going a little bit more modern here, it's Adam Levine from Maroon 5. I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, he married Bahati Prieslow. I think that's correct. I'm not going with any of the more modern stuff. I'm going back to the beginning. I'm going to Maroon 5's Harder to Breathe. I think that, to me, as great as they have become as a kind of a pop band, I think Harder to Breathe has a little more of an edge to it. So we're going to go with that one. Number four, and you knew he would be on the list here. It's Rick Ocasek from The Cars. Uh, married uh, Paulina and I'm going to butcher this one too. Porzica, I think that's right. If it's not, I apologize uh, to any of you guys that are fans of hers. Could have gone a lot of different directions here. I decided to go with Drive. I absolutely love that song. It's it's one of my favorite car songs. We've done the cars on the show, and Let's Go was number one. But I think Drive is one of those songs that's pretty relatable for people. It was a huge hit when I was uh, in middle school. Number three, it's Tommy Lee. And Tommy Lee is uh, lived the charm life, man. There's not much in Tommy Lee's life except for when he was self-destructive that has not gone his way. You know, handsome guy, very, very talented, great songwriter. 
and a guy that's always been able to uh, to get beautiful women to marry him, and it lo- clearly looks like he has a type. He's married to a model now too, but uh, made huge news in the '80s when he married uh, Heather Locklear. I'm, I can't. I guess she was on T.J. Hooker, the TV show. It's big news because she was kind of the girl next door marrying uh, the big famous rock star. And then he was married to Pam Anderson, who is the icon. And listen, you can save all your tweets and comments. Oh, Steve, you know, she's had so much work done. I don't care. I absolutely do not care. Pam Anderson is the icon. And But we're going with Wild Side. We're going with Wild Side for this one. Your number three song, Wild Side by Motley Crue. Number two, a guy that married a uh, Playboy Playmate and uh, a Cinemax star in Shannon Tweed. It's Gene Simmons. Uh, and Shannon, if you, listen, I, watch, I used to watch Gene Simmons' Family Jewels. I've seen every episode of it. Shannon is the hero in that family. As much as you like Gene and that sort of stuff, I mean, you know, Shannon's kind of the glue in that family. And for a long time, they were unmarried. And, uh, you know, Gene had to do what he had to do to keep her. But uh, Shannon's incredible. And uh, I decided to go with a little bit different Kiss track here. I could have gone modern, but you know what? I went back to the Kiss makeup years, back when Space Ace and Peter Chris Catman were in the band. And so we're going with Come On and Love Me. Come on and love me. But number one, and this is one I think people probably forgot about, and he actually dated Stephanie Seymour for a while, who was an absolute goddess. But it's Axl Rose. For When they first broke with Appetite for Destruction, he was dating Aaron Everly, who at the time was an up-and-coming model. It didn't work out. And then when they broke up, he dated Stephanie Seymour, who was in the November Rain video. But I thought in honor of that, Axel dating Aaron Everly. He actually wrote the song Sweet Child of Mine about her. And so that's what we're going to go with. Number one, Sweet Child of Mine, Axel Rose and Guns N' Roses about Evan Everly. So that's top ten list. Roy, good idea. I hope it wasn't too complicated for you guys. Because there was a lot of research I had to do on this. Because I knew a few of them. But I didn't know their wives. I just knew they married models. So I had to go look these things up. And I'm sure I mispronounced some of these names. But... Uh, Fun list to do, a lot of diversity, and we hit a lot of different decades here. You know, we go 70s all the way through uh, to more recent years. But, um, you know, love this kind of stuff. We've got some cool things lined up for you on Friday. So Friday we will bring the rock back. But, again, it's not going to be just one band. We're going to go and we're going to do best rock songs of in a very, very important year in music. How about that? So, Chances are there's going to be several songs on this list that you like. And here's the thing, too, that's really cool, too, is Roy keeps up with uh, the numbers. There's all these impressions we get on the list and that sort of stuff. And uh, the number one list last week, Jimmy Buffett, by far. It's incredible. But a lot of you guys like Lenny and Jimmy, too. And I had several people reach out to me about Lenny Kravitz saying, you know what, I hadn't listened to Lenny in a long time. Really enjoyed the list. Got to hear some tunes that I was kind of unfamiliar with. And I had other people reach out about Jimmy and said, man, I love your Jimmy list, but I would have put this one. But I can't argue against any of the ones you included, but I would have loved to have seen this one. And so I love the interaction, love talking music with you guys. And uh, every time I go anywhere and somebody brings up the show, they say, man, I love the top 10 list. And I've, had some, I've had some older guys, and uh, I say older, you know, guys that are probably 20 years older than me, and say, you know what, I, I listen to some of this music, and some of it I don't like, some of it I do, but I have found some new favorites and some new music to listen to. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. So I hope that you find some value in all that. Uh, thank you guys so much for your support of the show and support of 
the top 10 list. If you have an idea for the top 10, reach out, let me know. And I'll be honest with you, we got a lot of suggestions. We're getting a lot of duplicates too. Then we're not, you know, we kind of let people know, hey, I've already done that one. But uh, got some of you guys that have got some great ideas. And so we've, Roy is keeping a running list. Like once you guys message me, I'll text Roy and say, hey, we've got a request for this. We've got a request for that. Had somebody request the cult here recently. I don't think that I've shared that with Roy. Uh, the Cult is a band that I really like. And uh, I don't know if um, there are 10 songs that you guys would know. So I've got to think about that one. And for those of you that don't know that, my youngest son, Ian, is named after Ian Asbury from The Cult. So that's kind of how I was sold on that one. My boys are named after two of my favorite singers. And um, she wouldn't let me name him Sebastian. So there you go. So he's named Ian after Ian Asbury of The Cult. All right, so uh, let's move forward here. Next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmark. We're going to talk a little more baseball here. Uh, so had a chance to see Stan, the man, and Miss Kathy Brown both uh, Monday evening, both stopped by Bookmart and Cafe uh, to pick up my new book, Blooms of Oleander. And I don't think so many people that came by uh, to get those. And the weather was a factor, too. So we had several people call in to get their orders done because they wanted me to personalize those books. But uh, – Stan shows up wearing his maroon. Kathy shows up wearing her maroon. And you can wear some new maroon, too, because by the time you guys hear this, those Superdog shirts are going to be available at Campus Bookmark. they got the first shipment coming in today, second shipment coming in tomorrow. Use your promo code because everybody's going to want those shirts, right? You can get a regional shirt. You can get a Superdog shirt. And listen, I know your kids want them all. Maybe you want them all, too. I keep all those old shirts, man. I do. I don't, I don't wear them anymore, but I keep them. I've still got my 96 Final Four shirt. I just don't wear it, but I keep it. I still got it. It's a collector's item. But you can get your Superdog shirts on the website, campusbookmart.net. And by being a Boneyard listener, you get a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll save you 50, save shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. You can find those, the picture of the Superdog shirts, on their social media accounts. You need to be following them anyway on Instagram and, and, and uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook as well. At least find one of those and go follow them today and uh, get a look at those Superdog shirts. They're super cool too, man. I mean, I, I'm going to go by and get some too uh, for me and the kid. So, uh, for Ian, named after the guy from the cult. So, you need to do that too. And uh, there's so many. One of the things that I have learned about this when I travel for baseball and that sort of stuff, and when Mississippi State's playing like in a tournament, like when we went out to Fort Worth and things like that, when I bring that stuff home, everybody is in a better mood. It's like I'll go, I'll go to a tournament and I'll bring back something that's got the M over S on it, or you know. And a lot of it's because people are happy you're thinking about them, but also too, it's like it's something super cool. Like when I went to. At a women's final four, I came back and you know brought a sack full of shirts back for everybody in the house, everybody in my family, everybody that's on my payroll. I brought everybody a shirt back, and they love that stuff, man. And so, bring some joy to your family by getting them some regional and super dog shirts. You can do that and find so many other cool things there at campusbookmart.net. All right, let's look around at these other supers and let's talk about this a little bit. So, the chalk didn't hold necessarily in the tournament but you know most of the top 16 did advance so let's kind of look at this break it down just a little before your arkansas of course uh, wins and uh, had to really battle nebraska 
give up a, a three-run bomb to kind of put that thing away. And it's crazy. I went back and watched a replay of that. Nebraska's one strike away from getting out of that inning, one, two, three. Christian Franklin battled and battled and battled and battled and battled, and then he walks, and there's another walk, and then there's another walk, and then there's a wild pitch, and then there's a three-run bomb, and the game's over. It's crazy. But Arkansas advances. They are tested in that regional. And, again, they're not superhuman. They are super hogs right now. They're not superhuman. They will play NC State, who came out of Louisiana Tech Regional. Not a huge surprise, but um, that was a great regional. It really was. But NC State comes on through there. They will play in Fayetteville. That is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal. Stanford uh, sweeps through their regional. The uh, number nine seed in the tournament. A lot of people thought they were going to get a a national seat over us. They were incorrect. But they sweep through their tournament. And I saw, you know, a lot of people were picking UC Irvine, and that's who I picked. Some people picked Nevada. I thought the Anteaters would get it done. They did not. Stanford advances. They will play Texas Tech, so the chalk holds. That also is a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday deal. Arizona wins theirs. A lot of people thought Oklahoma State would test them. Arizona really untested. Uh, on the weekend. I mean, really, really, really impressive performance for them out there in Tucson. Uh, They will see Ole Miss. Ole Miss advances like we said they would, but listen, I think everybody expected them to drop a game. They did. You know, if Florida State can complete a, uh, you know, a routine defensive play, they might have lost twice. But the bottom line is that, you know, Ole Miss is still playing. They're playing good baseball. I still wonder how the arms are going to hold up. I think we saw some arm weariness yesterday. Nikhazy gave up a couple of tanks. But uh, the bottom line is Ole Miss survives and advances. They play into Monday. They got to get ready to travel, and they'll uh, head out to Tucson here to play a really good Arizona team. That's uh, It's going to be awfully interesting. As we get into Friday, I'll, we'll pick these. Uh, Vanderbilt tested as well. Vanderbilt really, really pushed by Georgia Tech. Vandy hits a late grand slam to put that thing away. East Carolina advances, and they're really no trouble there. I mean, really no trouble at all for East Carolina. I don't, th- I don't think that there's enough in the ECU program to beat Vanderbilt in Nashville. I think, I think with Rocker and Leiter on the hill, and you know, it's Vanderbilt is built for a super. That's one thing I said early on in the year. I think that there was a chance that uh, Vandy could get beaten a regional if they got the wrong draw just didn't work out for them, you know, for, for the haters of Vandy. But um, they're built for a super. I, I, I think Vandy is in a great position to go to Omaha. They just need to kind of get their pitching to hold out. And, again, you only got to win two out of three. So, if Rocker can get you one, Lighter can get you two, and you don't have to worry about your Sunday pitching until you get to Omaha. Uh, Texas really untested out there. Arizona State eliminated and then fired their coach. How about that? <clears throat> Austin. Uh, Texas will play. This is the first of the Saturday, Sunday, Monday Super Regionals. Everybody on the left side of the bracket is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And everybody on the right side is a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And because of the fact that Old Dominion and Virginia had to be postponed and they're on our side of the bracket, it made it a very easy decision. It wasn't some grand conspiracy like some idiots are trying to make it out to be. So Texas will play South Florida. Uh, South Florida – crazy that they go in there 
and take care of Florida and Miami and uh, outlast South Alabama. So South Florida, strike up the Bulls, will go take on the Longhorns in Austin. And, of course, uh, Mississippi State will host Notre Dame. Notre Dame, no trouble at all, scoring some major runs out there. I was a little surprised UConn didn't play better, and they got absolutely shelled in a ball game against Notre Dame in the winner's bracket game. Uh, Michigan, the last team in, and that was kind of a questionable uh, decision. And I know a lot of it, too, is, you know, Big Ten normally gets a bunch of teams in. They didn't this year. Central Michigan still trying to regroup a little bit there, very solid mid-major. But I really thought the only team that could really contend here with Notre Dame was UConn. And, listen, the Irish absolutely murdered them. So, you know, we're going to see a team in there that's coming in that scored a lot of runs. They haven't faced pitching like they'll see with us, though, even in their conference play. I don't care what anybody says or does. They haven't. Dallas Baptist and strike up these guys, man. And we've been hearing about Dallas Baptist forever, right? And when they first heard about them, we were wondering, are they even D1? I read this week, and I agree with this assessment. Dallas Baptist is an Omaha team, but they just hadn't done it yet. They just hadn't gotten to Omaha. Great recruiting base there, DFW. And there's a lot of kids that maybe aren't going to get TCU or, you know, Baylor or A&M or Texas where we look at them. But, you know, Dallas Baptist has become a developmental program and a great job. Uh, They take out Oregon State in the TCU regional. Great for them. And then they will play Virginia, who (laughs) takes out Old Dominion. Great job by the Who's, man. That super regional will be played in Columbia, South Carolina. So you've got somebody from Dallas and then, of course, from Charlottesville uh, making the trek to, uh, to South Carolina. Pretty easy trip, you know, for the uh, folks from Virginia. They're already there. I'm sure they'll go home for a couple days and come right back. But uh, so the Columbia, South Carolina regional spot will be used because you had upsets in both brackets. We talked about that uh, throughout the process, that there could not be any upset hosting of a super regional you had to be one of the 16 and a good thing for the committee is you only have one of these and considering the craziness that often happens in college baseball it could have been a really wild situation but at least enough of the chalk held that the committee really only had to make one decision a pretty easy one too founders park is amazing so that'll be a great place to hold a super i don't know how many people will make the trip there but uh you know, with Dallas Baptist having a chance to play at a great venue and a chance to get to Omaha, I suspect they'll have some people turn out. Tennessee at LSU. Now, here's the deal, too, with this one. I think many of you may have forgotten about this. When LSU went to Tennessee, and that was really when the wheels really started coming off, there was some bad blood between LSU and Tennessee. So let's take a little bit of a trip back to memory lane there. And so Kendall Rogers kind of referenced that, you know, in a tweet today about how crazy it got last time with uh, Tennessee and LSU. Of course, LSU was swept at Tennessee, which, you know, really kind of signaled a lot of issues for a lot of people. So, you know, this is is not good. You you try to go get better on the road, it doesn't happen. Tennessee was playing exceptionally well at the time, and they still are. So they go up there and they get swept. And then in the postgame – there wasn't anything said in the press conference itself. It was back when Maneri got back to Baton Rouge, and it was a radio interview there on a local radio station, and Maneri had this to say. Listen, even though there wasn't a huge, huge crowd at Tennessee, it was an extremely hostile environment. They were nasty. They were being nasty, nasty is an exact quote. 
comes back later and says the other team was not handling things with a lot of class, quite frankly. I don't know what that is really in relation to, and nobody has really provided any um, any uh, details about that. There is this one thing that um, we did hear, is that there was some comments directed at LSU first baseman Trey Morgan, who is an a, a incredible player, going to be a, a star in this league. But apparently some things were said. Again, nobody goes to any details, but um, one of the things that uh, – was said is that when he went to 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 bat, there were some things kind of cast from uh, you know those seats behind home plate. So they were into Trey Morgan's head. Maneri talking about uh, the fans there. They were on him from the moment he walked onto the field. I mean, it was a very difficult situation with the umpires. A lot of calls that went against kids, and they were having to deal with that. So, with that being said, in the backdrop of all the things that have uh, you kind of bubbled up. But this LSU Tennessee thing, it really adds, you know, adds some some color to this weekend. LSU, one of the last teams in the tournament. A lot of people felt they shouldn't be. I still think it was probably a stroke of genius on Paul Maneri's part to announce his retirement. I think that probably got him some points and love in the room as they're making decisions. Then they go to Oregon and they win the regional. A lot of people said, you know what, I'd hate to play those guys in a postseason. I would be okay playing them in Omaha because I think it neutralizes their offense because they're a team that depends on long ball. You take that away from them, and you know, what do they have? At some point, you got to play baseball. So, if you recall, we went down there and played them at their place. Wind was blowing in on Friday and Saturday. We win those games without a lot of trepidation. Then we get into Sunday, and the wind shift and the temperature's high. And uh, they hit a couple of dingers, and they win the ball game. You know, we didn't help ourselves. You know, Sarantola, that was his last start on an SEC weekend. Uh, struggled in that first inning. They scored two runs in the first inning without the benefit of a hit. So, but, yeah, this LSU-Tennessee thing could be awfully salty. And when you look at this Mississippi State side of the bracket, which is just incredible to think about, you know, there, there's a chance for chaos in this bracket. I think Texas will handle their business, which would be State's first opponent should we advance. But I think the bottom half of our side of the bracket, when you begin to think about the teams that could make it, we could we could really see some teams down there that are kind of getting in because they're hot, not necessarily because, uh, you know, they're dominant teams. And so we could get a very advantageous bracket if we make it to Omaha. I think that is pretty much apparent at this point when, when you begin to kind of break this thing down and you think, okay, we've already beaten – Texas, so we would have some confidence there, I, I suspect. I think we would all feel like, you know what, we got a good chance to go uh, back and beat those guys. I'm sure we would see, uh, or maybe not, but we'd probably see Ty Madden again in game one. But uh, their pitching is kind of rounded into form. But uh, you're kind of looking at this whole deal on our side of the bracket just, just to kind of make sure that we look at the possibilities here. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, you've got – Virginia playing Dallas Baptist, they, the winner of that would be in our bracket. And then in the bottom half of this thing, you got LSU and Tennessee. If the, I mean, honestly, ask yourself this. Are you really ready to count out LSU? I'm not. I mean, LSU's still LSU. And listen, they've been our daddy for a long time. I'm not going to run from that either. And, and I think we all – people say, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I want to play those guys in the postseason. And they're going to get out to play us. 
But LSU could take down Tennessee. And I think our guys, too, would love to see Tennessee again. But, you know, we could have some pretty major upsets on our side of the bracket. We could have some teams that uh, weren't expected to get to Omaha make it to Omaha. And maybe that lessens the difficulty of, uh, of Mississippi State's experience should we get there. Just some food for thought. Again, we got to go take care of Notre Dame first before it's a possibility. But I think, you know, the chalk has, has held on the other side of the bracket. And let's say, you know, Arkansas wins. Let's say that, um, you know, say Stanford wins. You know, let, let's say that, um, you know, Vanderbilt wins, Arizona wins. You know, all those teams on the other side, you know, be beating each other up. You know, and then we have a chance to, uh, if we can get through Texas, perhaps have a very winnable bracket. Those are the things that you know, get look long-term there, but I think that's a real possibility. Let's talk a little football recruiting before we get out the door because we have picked up a new Mississippi State football commitment. This segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Listen, we've talked about it before, guys. Many of you have said it's always been your dream to have a place in Starkville, whether it be your primary residence or perhaps a uh, – investment property or really a place just to kind of go and get away from uh, from everyday life maybe you just want to get up here and go to Starkville and just kind of hang out and have a good time there's no better place in Portico it is a great residential development the phase two permits have already been uh, signed off on gonna start moving some dirt here soon a couple of houses left in phase one so if you're looking to move now, they've got a couple of houses that are moving ready. You won't have to wait and that sort of stuff. You can go look at them today. You can close out your mortgage and be ready moving in, in in no time. Easy place to get to. You turn off of 82 onto 12, like going towards campus. It's the very first ride. That's how easy and convenient it is to get to your new place. You don't have to take it from me. You can call my friend, your friend, Brooks Bryan. Brooks is a great man. I, I, every time I go to Duty Noble, I see Brooks. It's like he never went away. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. And I was hanging out with the Campbell players. I got a chance to tell them about Brooks Bryan robbing that home run against Washington to send us to Omaha. And Brooks sat there like a little proud kid, man. He was like – looks like his dad was bragging on him. I'm not his dad, obviously. But uh, – and I've met his dad. Great man. But uh, listen, Brooks is invested in Starkville, Mississippi – Brooks is one of us. I'm a firm believer in doing business with Bulldogs, as you guys are well aware, especially people that have a vested interest in Mississippi State, and Brooks Bryan certainly does. Give Brooks a call today. He'll answer all your questions. Make Portico your next move. Two-bedroom, two-bedroom house, two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard the the ad so many times you probably have got it memorized, but I think it's important for you guys to do your own research. And if you're the person in the family that's been pushing for this, go do it yourself and say, listen, hey, I've already talked to the bank, and here's what we can do. You know what I'm saying? Get it done. All right, so let's talk recruiting. So since we uh, have been together, Lucas Taylor, a three-star offensive line prospect, originally from George County, Mississippi. He actually played at uh, Ocean Springs for a while, knows Austin Williams, Knows Jaden Wally, knows Brad Cumbust. A lot of connections to Mississippi State. Got a sister to play softball at Mississippi State. Great young man. Had a chance to interview him and talk to him. Excited about him. Excited about his future. 
He was committed to LSU for a long time, elected to make a change. And, and listen, it's, anytime there's a flip, there's always two sides of the story, right? And so the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I'm going to try to give you my, my most objective viewpoint on this. So LSU fired offensive line coach James Craig last week. He was the primary recruiter, uh, you know, for, for Lucas. And so he goes down there, goes to have the visit, you know, the camp or whatever, and, you know, basically said, hey, it wasn't a place for me. I firmly believe if James, if James Craig is still there, because I think he had the primary relationship, I think, I think he's still there. I, th- I think the commitment probably holds. I think Lucas honors his word there. But I think because of the fact they brought in a new offensive line coach that was not recruiting him and this late in the process, probably already have some of their own guys in mind, you know, maybe the new coach and him just didn't G-Haw. And then, you know what, that's okay. You know, maybe he doesn't fit what the new coach wants to do. Or maybe, just maybe, Lucas just doesn't have this continuity of a relationship, and now that his primary contact at LSU is gone, maybe he's rethinking this. And I believe Mason Miller has done a great job giving him some things to reconsider because Mason Miller never stopped recruiting him. For the last few months, Mason has been in contact with him multiple times weekly. And so all of a sudden, there is a little bit of hesitancy on the behalf of, uh, of Lucas's part when they fire the coach at LSU, and he's thinking, hey, listen, I don't know this new guy, so i got to build a brand-new relationship. And now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got a great relationship with Mason Miller. I know some of those players up there already. My sister's up there having a great experience. It's a pretty easy decision. Now, the LSU side of it, they'll say, oh, well, we, he didn't have a good show in camp and we dropped him. You know, that's usually how these things work. You know, when guys decommit, oh, we didn't want him anyway. And that's not to say that everybody's a dead gum homer, but, you know, that's what, you know, everybody's sharing information from sources. But listen, Lucas is just as talented today as he was a week ago before James Craig got fired. And so everybody liked him and wanted to keep him. And then, you know, there's just this disruption in a recruiting relationship. It's not necessarily anybody's fault, but it's a situation where Mississippi State benefits directly from this. And I think that's a big part of this. When there is a change with another program that is recruiting or has committed a player that we're very interested in, we need to take advantage of that. And we have. I watch his film today. I like him a lot. I do think he's an offensive guard. I worry a little bit about the length, like the wingspan of him playing at tackle. He's not real long-limbed uh, in that respect. If you look at his pictures uh, with Mike Leach and those guys, he, and he's basically, you know, he's got long arms, but they're not, they're not freakish like that you would expect to see on a power five offensive tackle. I do think he plays inside. I think he's very capable of doing that. He is a very, very mean player. Very, very mean player. If you watch his film, when he gets a guy on the ground, he'll hold him on the ground, talk a little trash. You know what? I'm good with all that stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, when, when you got playing the rigors of the SEC interior line play, you better be tough. You better be mean or you won't be here long. So what's next for Mississippi State? I'll have an article about that um, later today. But and when Mississippi State picking up Don Terry Russell over the weekend, and then you get uh, you know Lucas Taylor here. I mean, it's uh, you begin to look at this class and start thinking, you know what? We don't have a lot of room left. But because of the fact that we were able to put our two red, our two gray shirts, our blue shirts as we call them, on scholarship, 
Now, all of a sudden, you've got that extra spot to work with. Now, Jameer Calvin will count towards 2022, so officially you've got 14 plus 1. So 15 pledges right now gives you 10 spots to work with, and you start running this thing down here, those spots are going to be allocated pretty, pretty quickly. Got to get you got to get a couple receivers, right? And that and then you got to get two more offensive linemen. That'll run out your offensive line stuff, and you've got six to work with on, this, on the other side of the football. Got to get another linebacker. Got to get three defensive linemen, possibly four. All of a sudden, it, numbers are really, really tight. And so you can have a real sense of urgency now, and I think you can feel good about this after camp because you've had a guys and you can get objective measurables. You know how big guys are. You know how fast they can run. You know how big their hands are and how long their wingspan is. You know if they can take coaching. You know if they like you and they've got uh, major interest in you and your program. So that's what Mississippi State's kind of working through now. And so I think business will pick up here in uh, the weeks ahead, but you've got some more camps to have before you make any firm decisions. There are some other priority targets that couldn't make it this past weekend that will be here uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. So uh, camp season is going to be good for Mississippi State, but I think most of the class will already be in place before we play our first ball game. I really do. And I think there's some guys out there that are leaning Mississippi State's way they are going to go ahead and make a call sooner rather than later. Listen, i got to get out of here and get some rest. I've got a big day tomorrow. No, not really. Got to get up and do radio with Bo Bounds. We've got a few other things going on, but uh, got a couple things to write. But I think we're pretty excited about the direction of things, and I'll be back with you guys on Friday, and uh, we'll talk a little more about Notre Dame and the weekend that is, and we'll pick the Super Regionals, and we'll feel good about life. If you hadn't done so, you can go order Blooms of Oleander. You can get it at Book Martin Cafe or Lemuria Books or, or your favorite bookstore. You just walk in there and tell them, I need to order this book to order for you. If you've got any issues with that, let me know. Or you can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or BooksAmillion.com. And coming soon is an ebook on Amazon, Blooms of Oleander. The other books, all available at AlphaDogsTheBook.com, would be a great Father's Day gift for all the fathers in your life. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. That's going to do it for today. I'll be back on Friday. Can't wait to, uh, to get back to Dirty Noble Field. I know you guys all feel the same. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.